St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians has a, a pretty simple, straightforward outline. Paul begins uh, by telling us about our election in eternity, how God chose us before the world was created to be his children. Then he goes on to tell us how in this lifetime that happens, how uh, the gospel was brought to each one of us. Then he describes also that the results of this in the world are our unity uh, with other people in Christ. And from there, then Paul tells the Ephesians uh, how it was that he came to preach the gospel to them and what it means to be a child of God, the difference between the old life of sin and the new life of faith in Christ. And then the last two chapters, there are only six, but the last two chapters then contain uh, some advice, some uh, uh, exhortations from Paul about uh, husbands and wives and parents and children, uh, also uh, servants and their masters. And our verse today, just one verse, Ephesians uh, 6, verse 4, tells us uh, uh, the, the, rather the, the conclusion of that children and parents section. So listen to that verse now. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're going to understand this verse. In fact, if we're going to understand any verse of the Bible, we first of all have to recognize if it's law or gospel. Well, this verse happens to fall into the category of the law, but once we've gotten there, we need to ask ourselves, is this the first, second, or third use of the law? Because if we don't understand that, we may apply it incorrectly in our lives. Well, what are the three uses of the law? Well, in your bulletin, in the handout you got when you came in, there is a long, uh, forgive me, sticky-outy sheet uh, that's uh, a great big white sheet. It's our, it's our confirmand's uh, uh, sermon card. And uh, I have some uh, ways for you to take notes there about the three uses of the law and some statistics that I'm going to share. Not very many, but a couple about raising children. And with regard to the three uses of the law, the first one is this, that God holds the world, society, human life together with some basic restrictions, uh, like a curb on the edge of the street that show us where the boundaries are. We call this first use of the law the curb. And it's things like uh, uh, the command, don't uh, murder, don't steal, uh, uh, keep sex within marriage, things like that. The first use of the law is as the curb. The second use of the law is where God takes his will and then we hold up our lives against that and we see where have I fallen short? Uh, uh, where do I in my life need a savior? The answer is everywhere. And, and, and that need for a savior is what we see in what we call the mirror of the law. So the second use of the law is as a mirror. And of those first two uses of the law, the first use is for everybody, but primarily for unbelievers, as it keeps the world in check with boundaries to make life livable for us. The second use of the law is also for everyone, although you may have noticed a few people in your life who use it primarily to point fingers at somebody else and not to reflect God's will in their own world. But the third use of the law is the use of God's law as a guide, a guide for Christian living. 
And that use of the law only benefits the Christian because it is only the Christian who is able to please God using God's law. Even though we are flawed, even though we make mistakes, even though we don't get it right all the time, most of the time, okay, any of the time, but that's God's law as a guide for us. So curb, mirror, and guide. And our verse here, in fact, much of Ephesians 5 and 6, is the law as a guide. Now, Paul gives parents both a negative and a positive encouragement here, doesn't he? He says, on the one hand, do not, and on the other hand, he says, do bring them up. So there's a don't do and a do, both in this same section. And let's begin with the don't, where Paul says, don't or do not exasperate your children. The Greek word that we translate exasperate means to make someone angry, or frustrated or resentful. And this is a word that speaks to our future relationship with our children based on what happens right now. What we want is for our children to know things about life and about Jesus. In fact, it's in the home that we affect both the physical and the spiritual lives of our children. In the three estates of man, the church, the home, and the government, only in the home are both areas, both spiritual and physical, maintained. In the realm of the government, it is only the physical needs that are met. In the realm of the church, it is especially, of course, the spiritual needs that are met. But in the home, it's both. And what we want is for our children to love and appreciate that spiritual upbringing. And of course, we want them to love and appreciate us just as we don't want our children to forget about us or resent us, we also don't want our children to forget about God or resent Him. Now, our new staff minister, Mr. Kushel, uh, our new family and youth minister, shared some statistics with me this week. And I want to share a couple of them with you. Uh, the, the place where we got them from is all written down. If you pick up a, a printed copy of the sermon at one of the entrances, or if you go online this week to, 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 to download the three-page sermon, actually two pages, front and back, um, the, the statistics are there and where they came from. They're from places like the Barna Report and so forth. But I want to share just a couple of, of these with you just quickly. First of all, studies show that our children are more likely to keep going to church when they become adults. In fact, more than 44% more likely if one thing happens if dad comes to church regularly also. It actually isn't that high if mom is regular at worship. Now moms, don't make this think that you don't have to go to church that often then because God wants us to do that. But if you want the children to keep coming in the future, dad needs to be faithful today. Second, studies show that children are more than 80% more likely to be active in church later on, not just coming occasionally, but coming regularly and involved in Bible study and in volunteer opportunities. 80% more likely if parents talk about their faith at home, in whatever form that might be, but especially if there's one of those teaching moments. Maybe uh, somebody gets sick, somebody dies, there's trouble. Uh, maybe a child doesn't do well at school. Maybe a child excels at school. 
Any one of those things can be a way to talk about Jesus and about our faith in our Savior. Thirdly, I think I've said this before, saying, when, when parents find an excuse or a reason not to come to worship, and often if they say, well, I'm going to let my children decide for themselves if they're going to become Christians, if, they're going to be, if, they're, if religion is going to play a part in their life, well, that is the same thing as saying, I'm going to let my child decide if he wants to learn to breathe or not. Forcing a child to breathe when they're born, yes, will make the child a living, breathing human being. And bringing children to worship will help to make them living, breathing Christians later on in life. Otherwise, they're going to get the message that this isn't important to mom and dad, therefore it shouldn't be important to me either. Dads need to be faithful. Moms and dads need to talk about it at home, and we need to get our children into worship along with us. Well, so much for Paul's command about what not to do, which is exasperate them, make them frustrated, and make them fall away from God. That's something we can do, and Paul says don't. But what does he tell us to do instead? Bring them up, read that part with me, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That means talking with our children about Jesus, and it means family devotion time at home. Now, as soon as I said family devotion time, how many sets of eyes kind of went down? And how many families felt some kind of guilt or, 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 or failure at this? Was it 90% of all families, even in our circles? No, it's not. It's 95% of all families, yes, even in our circles. And why does it happen? Because we try something and maybe it doesn't work. Or we're not used to something and, and, and we're not comfortable with it. But it's also because, and keep this in mind, it's also because, to our shock and amazement, our children grow. Well, duh. Well, of course, that means that what works today may not work next year. It may not work next spring. It may not work next semester because their schedule, their spiritual knowledge will change because it's growing, because our spiritual time with them has been beneficial, and they won't have to repeat the same story in a couple of months. There are lots of materials I could share with you. You know that we have them. Ask, ask for them if you want them. But you also don't have to do something formal. You can also open your Bible to the Psalms in the middle or to one of the Gospels, most of the way back to the end, and just read a couple of verses or a story about Jesus. You don't have to open up to Job chapter 20 this afternoon. You can just open to Psalm 117, the shortest psalm, in fact, the shortest chapter in the Bible. Or you can open up to a little short Gospel lesson and know that there is something there to apply. Maybe it raises a question. Maybe it raises, you know what, I, I think about this when I think about this story. Maybe you can tell your family, you know what, I've always wondered about this. Maybe we should ask Pastor about it sometime. And then, go ahead, call Pastor Sutton about it, or Pastor Sharp, or if you want to, you can even call me, and talk about what this means. This is hardest on children who have a parent who is maybe not a Christian, 
Or somebody, or maybe both parents, just don't want to talk about Jesus at home. Imagine what it's like for that child to want to grow in their faith when they get resistance from their own families. Well, aren't they supposed to love and honor their parents? We just talked about, yes, that that is the fourth commandment. But if there's that barrier, there are other things a child can do. For example, a, a child can go to our church website. Most of our kids know how to use computers better than we do anyway. But the child can go to our church website, and there are regular, in fact, daily devotions we write and post on our website for free that they can read. If they don't want to do that, there are podcasts. Did you know that our church has a podcast, Invisible Church? It's there on the website as well, and it's, it's, it's just something that you listen to. You just click and listen. Um, you can download it if you want to save a copy. You're welcome to do that. Share it with somebody. But that gets recorded right here in this building, down in the fireside room every week, and two episodes, about a half an hour each, are, are there available for you all the time. So a child who has difficulty with, with, with parents uh, sharing the Word of God at home, we have something even for you. But what about moms and dads who have maybe a child, maybe later in life, who has wandered away from the faith? What do those parents, uh, what, can, what can those parents do? Well, first of all, don't hide your faith from your child. Don't think that, well, I've got to kind of tone things back. Well, that will make the child just think that it's not that important to you anymore. Let them know what your faith is. They already know it. Don't hide that. Let them know that you want them to come back to church, that you're praying for them to come back to church. And then also understand that there's one more statistic I want to share with you that, that I forgot if it was Mr. Cushel or, or Pastor Sutton who shared this with me, but it's that our young people are far more likely to return to faith when parents have been patient and supportive and welcoming. Remember the father of the prodigal son? Remember the temper tantrum he threw when his son left home? No, you don't, because that's not part of the story. Do you remember the lecture he gave to his son when the son finally showed up again? No, you don't, because that's not part of the story either. What did he do? He ran out to him. He met him halfway. He put his arms around him. The son started to blurt out a panned excuse, a planned excuse, and the father doesn't even let him finish. He just says, let's have a party. I'm so glad you're home, period. Remember that an invitation is always better than a lecture. It, it's like when you're sharing your faith with somebody you don't even know or doing evangelism work out in the world, you don't win anyone into the kingdom of God by winning an argument, even if you're right. What's the only thing that works? It's not a, 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 a clever and artful uh, rhetorical introduction to the word of God saying, this is why you should listen to this. No, it's the gospel itself. It's Jesus saying, Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. That's the gospel at work. And that's the gospel that we need too, the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Why do we need it? <laughs> because a passage like this shows us, okay, it's the law as a mirror too, isn't it? Because a passage like this shows us where we have fallen short in everything that this verse has opened up for us, sharing, raising our children, sharing our faith with our children, having 
home devotions, struggling with continuing to have home devotions. What happens if your parents don't want to talk about it? What happens if your children don't want to talk about it? What we all feel at some point in this text is failure and guilt and defeat. But remember that the training and instruction of the Lord is not just what God wants us to do. It's what he wants us to know. He wants us to be healed by that. He wants us to cherish it. How how does the Lord comfort us when it comes to raising and training our children despite all of our failures, despite all the times we've crashed and burned and thought to ourselves, well, I probably shouldn't do that again. And then a week later, I probably shouldn't have done that again. And then a week later, I really should stop doing that. But we keep on doing it because it doesn't get through. And what does God say to us? How does he encourage us? Two ways. One is by an almost limitless number of examples of parents raising their children in Scripture in all of the difficulty and challenge and messiness of raising kids. And then the encouragement that he gives us time after time after time. Think back into Scripture you remember some of these stories? You remember that father with the prodigal son and what he did, hoping he would come back, praying that he would come back, and then just welcoming him home? Do you remember the story of a mom and dad who came to Jesus begging him to heal their child? Do you remember a father named Job who prayed for his children all the time because he had no idea whether they were sinning or not. So he just prayed. Remember a mother facing starvation for herself and her son? And how does she face it? With faith and trust in God. Whatever will be, will be. Just after the the, the ark lands, after the flood, we have the story of a dad who went through it and his son who went through it And now a grandson and a great-grandson named Nimrod who have fallen already so far away from the true faith that that dad has to watch son, grandson, and great-grandson begin to, 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 to turn away from and even persecute the true church of God as they have fallen away. And you know what his agony and what his prayers must be. Think in Scripture of that young unmarried woman who is pregnant, and she's not pregnant through any sin of her own, and yet she faces rejection by her family, possible abandonment by her fiancé, and possibly even being stoned to death by her village, and yet she puts all of her trust in God, her Savior. Think of a dad named David and his sons. Oh, his sons. One of them became a rapist, One of them becomes a murderer and an outlaw. Two of them are guilty of less majesty. They turn on their father, the king, in open military rebellion against him. And what does David do with every single one of them? He never stops loving them. He never stops praying for them. He never stops trying to welcome them back into his home. And he also invites the whole nation the whole church of believers to pray for his sons with him 
by writing 75 of the 150 psalms, most of which, or many of which, are written about his relationship with his kids. Remember those two women in the Bible, a mom and a grandma, who see to it that a child with an unbelieving pagan father to see to it that that child is raised as a believer, and they even encourage him to become a pastor in the Christian church. And what else does the Bible have to offer besides almost limitless examples like this? The forgiveness of our sins. This forgiveness that, it, yes, is us to share with our families, but for us to understand that it's ours too. Forgiveness at every turn for all of our failures, for all of our false starts. The time to pray is today. The time to talk about Jesus is now. On the way home, in the car, or walking back home today. At lunch, tonight at supper, later on before bedtime, the time is now to share your faith with the ones you love or on the phone. The love of our Savior, which gives us the forgiveness of sins, the wonderful healing gospel in all of its beauty, and yes, the law as a curb, as a mirror, as a guide for Christian living. But that wonderful word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gives us the peace of God that transcends our understanding and that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.